0: It can be really fun to complain, don't you think? Michelle and I, my wife and I just moved to a new town last year, and we needed to find somewhere new to go out for dinner. And so we were driving down the road. We saw this place that looked good from the outside. We pulled in, and I suggested that she look up some reviews on Yelp. The first one. The cheesesteak is basically a leathery slab of beef covered with grease. So we pulled out, and we drove home, but the whole time, she just read one review after the next, and it was so fun to laugh together at how badly other people were failing. Can you admit that there's something delightful in looking at things that are bad and just kind of laughing about it? Does anybody else have that experience? Please don't make me feel all alone up here. (laughs) To take joy in where things aren't working there are some patterns that we've learned to live with that have carved some pretty deep ruts in this way. Do you remember the winter of 2020? We were, we were stuck at home watching the news. And it was scary, but the newscaster that had the biggest audience was the one who was the most virtuoso, uh, the, the best virtuoso in complaint. And since then, we've had an awful lot of things going wrong in the world, haven't we? And so it's very easy to get into that pattern of complaining, of talking about things that are just not what they should be. Does anyone in here have someone that comes to mind, an expert in complaint? Don't point at them. That's not okay. (laughs) Seriously. Let's try this instead. Stop. Seriously, let's try this instead. Try this. Can anyone in here think of a person who has every reason to complain but chooses not to? Yes, so, some of us do. And I'm glad. listen, I'm glad you say somebody's name. If it's someone who's with you, someone that comes to mind, let that person be in your mind's eye for a moment. Someone who is up against it all the time and things are not going their way and yet they refuse to always dwell on it and talk about it. Someone who had to give up her dreams or the thing that she always feared losing was taken away, but she chose instead of dwelling on that and talking about it to be someone who was positive and content nonetheless. I've known people like this. Aren't they inspiring? Don't they have a kind of power? What I want you to see this morning is that that God empowers people to decide not to let what's happening out there determine how they're doing in here, but instead to thrive and keep going no matter how things are going out there. We're going to take some time together to look at one place in the Bible where a man who has learned the secret of contentment shares about it so that we ourselves can be people who are less inclined to have our well-being depend on things that are outside of our control. And after looking at what he says, we're going to pause and just zoom in on what actually happens when a person complains. And what I'm going to ask for you to do is to not think about that other person, but to let yourself come into your mind, because all of us need to grow and change. Is that agreed? And after we see what happens when we complain, we'll go back to the Scriptures one more time for some instruction on how to develop pathways away from the habit of of chronically complaining, to being people who are content in Christ. It's a good plan, don't you think? Before we go to the scripture, I want you to look at yourself and be honest. What do you complain about? Every one of us has something. Is it the weather? Is it the gas prices? Is it the politicians? Is it our neighbors? Is it our family members? Is it our friends or our children or our parents? Is it those people? Or or is it... These people, whatever it is, let that come to mind for a moment for you. And I'm gonna tell you right up front what you want, what you've been conditioned to want is for those things out there to change And what you're going to be invited to do this morning is to be open to the fact that what really needs to change is this response in here. Not those things out there. God, let's hope they do change. But but first of all, these things in here. And what we'll discover is that Jesus Christ, who is alive and with every one of us right now, is waiting for us to be people who grow, to, to let this in here be changed by his grace and his power and his mercy. Would you be open to that? Okay, let's find our way to the letter that was written by Paul to the church at Philippi. And in the fourth chapter of Philippians, uh, he, he begins his discussion of, of contentment with these words. This is verse 11 in chapter 4 of Philippians. He says this, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Now, this is the statement of a man who has plenty of, to be discontent about. It would be one thing if somebody uh, who, who always had everything going their way stood before you and said, oh, I've learned to be content and everything was going their way. No, this man was a man who had lost most of the relationships that he had depended on when he decided to follow Jesus. This was a man who had all kinds of professional accomplishments, which he used to be proud of, that suddenly became liabilities when he put his faith in Jesus. He faced constant anxiety and concern because of his professional life as soon as he started to follow Jesus, and he reports at one point that he had something like a thorn in his flesh that he had pled with God, please take it away. He'd over and again ask God to remove this thing, and, and it never was taken away, and yet he tells us that he has learned to be content with whatever is happening in life. Can you imagine that could be true for you? How? Look carefully. Look again. He says that he's learned to be content. And that means contentment for him was not automatic. And many of us will have learned to think, well, I guess I'm just a negative person. Nonsense. You've learned to be the kind of person that you are over time, and it is possible to learn to approach your life differently. That's what Paul indicates here, and that's the man who wrote this. His name is Paul. Paul. He was someone who'd learned, just like a person learns to do mathematics or learns to ride a bike. When you first started riding a bike, were you good at it? No, of course not. You fell off, but you have the freedom to get back on and try again. And here, we learned that contentment is like that. That the state of being, so that instead of always focusing on what's wrong, one learns to focus on what's right is the result of a process of applying one's mind and agency in the same direction over time. He had learned to be content. At first he failed, but then he got there. Now, if you would for a moment let those things which cause you to feel discontent come into your mind again. We are not told here that we shouldn't care about those things, but we are given a pathway away from being people who are chronically complaining onto a different road And he gets more specific here in verse 12 about the kinds of challenges he faced. Look at this in verse 12. He writes, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. And there it is, the secret. You see it there. There is a secret that this man has learned so that whether he had plenty or only a little bit, whether he was well-fed or hungry, whether he had more than enough or not enough, it didn't matter anymore. His well-being in here no longer depended on how things were going on out there in any and all circumstances. He had discovered the pathway to contentment. And now you should imagine your own life for a moment and picture the possibility for you so that whether the person you wake up next to every morning is nurturing and kind and gracious or a real stinker through and through, you're doing okay. Whether those people at work are on your team and you're doing good things together or they're against you, you're going to be okay. Whether you have the success in whatever endeavor you've decided matters most to you, whether you've got that success or it keeps falling apart, that doesn't change how you're doing in here. Imagine that. And I'm telling you, as your pastor, you do not only need to imagine that, it is the promise which is open for you because of what God has decided about you personally, every one of you. Now, I want to be personal for a moment. Some of you I know pretty well, and others of you I don't. It doesn't matter. I am responsible, I think that's the right word, for telling you this morning that the pathway to a life of contentment is wide open for every single one of you without exception. And it's not because I've said so or I'm an inspiring person or that I've really worked hard and now I've got a secret that I personally get to give you. That's not it. It's that there is a secret which is available to you just as God made himself available to you in Jesus. He knows you better than you know yourself, exactly where you are this morning, Jesus sees you and he knows you, and he is right here to open to you this secret of contentment. What is the secret? Here, Paul says it in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now listen to me. This does not mean that you can do whatever you decide you should do as long as Jesus is on your side. You may make decisions about things that you want to do that God does not want you to do. And this isn't a promise about that. It is a promise, however, about something different. It is whatever you have to do to be a person who walks with Jesus, you absolutely can do it. And you can do it because Jesus will be there to give you the strength to do it, And that is his promise, and he is so sincere about that promise that he laid his life down, he died, he rose from the dead so that he can be with you spiritually right now to give you all the strength that is required to do exactly what he is calling you to do. Have you got that? Help me a little more. Have you got that? If... You walk with Jesus, and he says, you must go on loving that difficult person that you're sitting next to this morning. You have everything you need to do that because Jesus provides the strength. If you've decided to be a parent who's gonna prioritize the well-being of your children... Over what makes them happy in the moment, it's going to be terribly difficult. He'll give you the strength to do it. If you're going to live as a righteous person in a culture that seems to revel in unrighteousness and evil and lies and wickedness, you can't do that on your own, but you do not need to be someone who is profoundly negative all the time because of the mess out there. Rather, The secret to contentment, you can go on shining your light, the light of Christ, in this dark place because Jesus will give you all the strength you require to do it. Do you see that? So then, dear friend, don't go on complaining all the time about how bad things are. Take heart, be content, and shine like that person that came to mind when I asked you if you know someone who doesn't complain. Would you do it? If you do it, I can see as some of you are like, you, there are a few people who say, I want to shout amen in church, but I'm afraid, so I never do. Would you get over it and shout amen? For your sake. So you grow to be a strong and confident and, 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 and brightly burning person. Choose this path. If you're the one who's chronically complaining, do not Keep blame on yourself right now. Do not be ashamed. Jesus only helps us see our faults so that he can assure us of his forgiveness and promise to help us with what we need. Agreed? And, and so what about complaint? This is where we're gonna zoom in on complaint for a little bit, okay? Uh, the first thing that I have to tell you about complaining, this is very important. Not all negative speech is complaining, It is okay to talk about the things in the world that are not going well. It is completely okay. It is healthy. It's a part of a healthy emotional life to be able to see things that are going on in your life and say, this is awful. I don't like it. And to tell someone about it and and to get into all of the details. That's okay. There are some restaurants which deserve really bad reviews and that's okay. Okay. So do not take from this that I'm never supposed to acknowledge the things in life that aren't good and I, I'm supposed to pretend I'm cheerful when I'm not. That's not true. You can talk and, and, and think and, and write about the things that are not good, but complaining is a different kind of negative speech. Do you know what I mean when I talk about complaining as thing from that, right? This is the kind of dwelling on what's wrong, listen carefully now, where you talk about what's wrong without doing anything to change what's wrong. You see the difference? Where you dwell on a problem just because you've learned to take some delight in dwelling on what's wrong, and you are really clever at writing funny reviews. Can you picture this? where we're all sitting around together and we get onto that subject that we love complaining about and we're doing it again. And nobody is thinking or wondering or asking about what we can do. We're just talking about how bad it is out there. When you get used to complaining like that, whether it's in a social group or or in relationship to one, that one thing in your life that really is bad and needs to change. And be honest with yourself. When you start complaining like that, there are predictable outcomes. I'm gonna just dwell for a little bit on three of them. Here's the first one. When you habitually complain about a problem, listen, the more you complain about it, the less likely you are to do anything to change that problem. And I, I'll tell you why. When things are wrong, it feels bad inside. Can I get an amen? Amen. And, And the more that that problem persists, the worse it feels inside, right? So that's your body's way of saying something needs to change. When you complain, it's like you have a pressure valve and you release a little bit of pressure... Enough pressure to make it so you don't need to change that thing until the pressure builds up and you complain again and you get into that pattern and you will never change that problem. You'll just complain about it. If you can see yourself doing that, be honest, have you done it? That's what happens. The more you complain about those problems, the less likely you are to change them. Now, if that pattern persists long enough, here's the second outcome. You actually become a more negative person. Now, I I, I said that carefully. I don't mean that, well, you you talk negatively more. No, you actually change physiologically, not just emotionally, but physically. You change as a person as you persist in this habit. And here again, if, if you're thinking, oh, gosh, this is me, thank God, because God is gracious and he's helpful and you do not need to feel condemned, okay, agreed? But what happens is your brain actually develops neurological pathways that favor negativity the more you exercise your complaint apparatus. And and there are neurophysiologists and and psychologists who've studied brain patterns, and they've shown this to be the case, that as you chronically talk about what's wrong and think about what's wrong and dwell on what's wrong, your brain actually becomes better at being negative, and you become a more negative person over time. It's like your brain is carving ruts, like in a country road, a dirt road, so that your Patterns of thought naturally go to that same place. The more you complain, the more negative you become as a person. That is the second predictable outcome. Here's the third one. You keep that up and people won't want to be around you anymore. Right? Uh, It's true that you can gather a crowd pretty quickly by being spectacular at negativity. And people will join around you and they'll laugh. Because, oh. But over time, those people won't want to be around you anymore because complaining over and over again, it grinds on you and it, it just brings you down. And the reason that is what happens in your heart is because God didn't make you to be a complainer. God made you to be a strong and joyful and bright and shining positive person who's able to persist in this contentment whatever is happening out there. And so the question for us is, well, if this is so, how do we become people who not only learn about this secret of contentment but actually practice the kinds of patterns that undo what happens when we complain all along. What you need, and this is what I need to, and what we need is to work at contentment, to practice like we practiced mathematics, or riding a bike, or swinging a tennis racket, and that way we learn the patterns of movement that over time enable us to be people who are content. Thankfully, Paul, who describes this secret of contentment, also offers a pattern that we are free to follow so that we begin to develop the muscles of contentment in our minds and in our hearts let's look together at this now if you go up a little bit in verse uh, chapter 4 of philippians and find verse 8 here's what paul writes listen to this finally beloved whatever is true whatever is honorable Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here is guidance that is given to a gathering of people who are beloved by the man who offers it. That's why Paul instructed those people. He loved them, and he loved them because he knew, first of all, they were the objects of God's love, and I know that about you, about every single one of you in here. The first and most principal thing about you is you are beloved by God, and because of that, what God wants for you is to discover the pathways of contentment, and they are, according to this list, they are mental They are patterns that are available to anyone who is able to choose to think about these things rather than those things. And if you note very plainly, what he describes here is the exact opposite of what happens when a person is complaining. When you're complaining, you are dwelling mentally on the things that are unjust, it's unfair, on the things that are dishonorable. You, you share this awful story in, in hushed tones because nobody should hear about this, but you, you tell it anyway. Or you complain about things that are bad and they're not excellent. When you complain, you carve these mental pathways, but God made you With a brain that is able to be directed by your will. Not always. Sometimes are you finding yourself thinking things that you can't control? Of course we all find that. But you also have the capacity that God gave you to choose what you dwell on in your mind. And here there is an invitation to choose to set your mind on things that are worthy of praise. Can you think of one thing that is praiseworthy? I know we're in church and you might think of something that's spiritual, first of all, or religious, but it doesn't have to be that. It just has to be something that is so pure and so good that it evokes praise in a good way. Try to think of something like that. Carlos Alcaraz's drop shots. There's only two people in here who watch tennis. It's the US Open today, people. Okay, maybe it's not your thing. Maybe it's what the moon looks like. Right when it came over the trees two nights ago. Did you see it? Or the color of the sky at twilight. When you left dinner last night and you looked upstairs, or up into the heavens and you saw it. Can you believe that blue? Maybe it's this kid that you met who was so kind and he shared his toys with you. Maybe it's some good thing that your daughter did that your son doesn't know about. Can you think of things that are worthy of praise? God made us so that just like we can talk about the things that are disgusting that are happening in this world of ours, we also can talk about the things which are delightful, commendable, that word up there, commendable, that means something that you would go out of your way to share with someone you loved. Can you think of something that you've experienced that the people around you who matter to you, you just want to tell them about it? You can choose to think about those things and talk about those things instead of all the other things that you're free to talk about that aren't going well. Things which are excellent. Not just the things that are unfair, but some act of justice that you got to witness. You saw it happen. It inspired you in the moment. But then you turned the news on and it made you negative again. If that's you, turn the news off and think about things like this instead. God made you, me, and listen, this is very important. He made us together as a church. Okay, and I mean this. We're, we are individuals, but we are a church all together. And God has endowed us with the capacity to be a community and individuals that choose what we will be the ones who think on and how we will carry ourselves in the world that God loves right now. And the mission that he has for our church is to burn a bright light, his light, in a way that draws people not to us but to him. And when we learn to be people who are content despite all of the misery, that we even carry ourselves. This is not a call to have your life suddenly improve but rather to have your outlook shift. And then watch what happens. Then God uses us to be the kind of people who draw others to him. And, and when we do this, when we think about these things, when we work and use the will that he gave us to do this, why well, then we break the habit of always complaining, we find ourselves on the pathway toward contentment, and then we're free to face every circumstance as it should be faced, which is with confidence, knowing That Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, is walking with us at every step. Listen, I want to add one more thing to the person who's still inclined to feel bad about themselves because they're such a complainer. Listen, Paul said this. The man who wrote these words said this. Here is a trustworthy and true statement Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And then when he talked about himself, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. So there's not a single person in here who would win an argument with Paul about who was worse. He would win. And so if you're even saying that in this moment, Jesus is for you and he's walking with you at each step and you have the freedom to step each moment with contentment. And the question of whether that will happen or not is for you to answer. It's for you. You never answer it alone. You never answer it alone. Jesus is is with you. I do hope that many of you will be in community groups this week where you'll talk with others and you'll be able to admit, here's the patterns that I follow and you can ask, help me, let me confess, let me talk about this and you'll work together, you'll strategize together so that you become the kinds of people who come to mind the next time someone says, have you ever met someone who chooses not to complain? In 2009, I was invited to be a teacher At Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, one of my theological mentors who was a professor there asked me to co-teach with him, and I did. We taught together a class on the gospel and how the gospel expresses itself in communities that are growing to be churches with one another. Uh, We planned the syllabus out in December. The class started in January. And this friend, uh, the professors, told me, Christian, you've assigned way too much reading for the classes you're giving. The students are (laughs) going (laughs) to (laughs) complain. I didn't didn't, uh, reduce my reading requirements at all. He then told me, we're going to have to get the requirements in ahead of time because there's a blind student in our class. And the library is going to have to translate everything you've assigned into Braille for her. Laura Bratton was that student's name. In every class, she sat and she had the brightest smile on her face. Every single class. She she wrote amazing papers in the first half of the semester. About halfway through the semester, I asked the class, I want you to tell me what the gospel says to you in real life. How has Jesus changed your life? And there were three or four students who raised their hands and shared. After the class finished, Laura stayed in her seat until most people left. She came forward and she said, I want to tell you what came to mind when you asked that question, I wanted to share it, but I felt shy. Can we make an appointment at lunch? And we did, we planned to be together in the cafeteria next week. And I sat there when she arrived, she walked over and sat down at the table where I was. And the first thing she said to me is, I can still remember what the leaves look like in fall. I'd assume she'd been born blind. When she was eight years old, her peripheral vision started to shrink. At nine, the doctors identified a degenerative eye disease that would make her blind, and they told her, we don't know when, but we know we will not be able to reverse it. She said this, Christian, at the end of middle school, I began to pray every night. God, please don't let me go blind. Every single night, she said, I cried myself to sleep, and I would say over and over again, I can't do it. I can't do it. And she said this, the thing I wanted more than anything else... Was not to have to start high school as a blind student. But it was the summer before my freshman year that we got this dog, and I had to enter as a blind student. And then, listen, you see me crying. She smiled the whole time she was telling this story. She said, The gospel tells me I am not my disability. I think I can't do it, but I can do anything. Because Jesus strengthens me. And she had this huge smile. She said, Christian, I did it. I was a good high school student and I made it. And it's because I have Jesus with me at every step of the way. And it's up to me how I face my adversity. And I face it with confidence because he is gracious all the time. Isn't that magnificent? She was such a delightful student. It's about four or five years after that, I got an email from the Alumni Association at Princeton Seminary. And it was a seminar that was going to be offered. And she was the one who was leading the seminar at Princeton. And it was because she had just released her first book. Uh, The book is called Harnessing Courage. How to Overcome Adversity and Grit with Gratitude. And I tell you the title because I hope some of you will read it. When God helps a person discover the secret of contentment so that they're strengthened by Jesus for each step, God uses that person to strengthen and inspire others. I didn't didn't tell Laura this, but I'm absolutely sure that God used Laura to strengthen me through the seasons that would come after that that were too much for me when I might have otherwise given up. And what God wants for you is for you to have contentment. So high school students or middle school students see you And God uses you to lift them so that your daughters are able to be inspired through your perseverance with the strength that God gives. So your children or your spouses or the people that you interact with in your neighborhoods or at church are able to be lifted by what God shows them through you, and that's what he wants. God wants to use Renaissance Church to be a community that builds up disciples who love Jesus and serve Jesus together in a way that inspires and invites other people to love and serve Jesus with them. And what your pastor wants, this is what I want more than anything, is for God's word to come through our time with scripture and and our times like this so that God builds us up so we find the pathways away from the habits that cause chronic unhappiness onto the, the pathways of joy. Would you commit now, not to me, but to him, to God, to be on that path, yes or no? Yeah, let's pray together that he would honor our commitment. God, we love you and we thank you that when we gather, you are with us and you are close to our hearts so that your spirit inspires and empowers us to do what would be impossible without your power and without your inspiration. And that is to walk forward in faith, experiencing the grace and power that is ours because of who you've chosen to be. We thank you that in Christ, you've died for us and thereby canceled the power of sin and death in our lives and opened the way to new life. We thank you that even when we stumble and forget that, you are gracious and you're ready to give us your renewal yet again. And we ask that this morning every thought that has come to mind where we need to change would not be a thought of shame but instead would be a thought of opportunity as we trust that you will gather us and move us forward. For those of us who are doing really well and don't complain when we have other people who complain come to mind show us how to be your emissaries with those people so we can be those who help others and lastly God we thank you for people like Laura Bratton who don't complain but instead show us the pathway that Paul wrote about so eloquently in the book of Philippians. Continue to build us up individually and as a church all together so we can be what you have created us to be. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, dear friends.